Happy Thanksgiving. We're just a couple days away. It's just around the corner. And sometimes I think we often look at Thanksgiving just a little bit backwards. We think of Thanksgiving as an opportunity to thank God for the past, for the things that he's done in our lives. But I wonder if it could become a little more part of us, maybe a mindset. Thanksgiving can become a window for which God's love shines. When I was a child, one of my favorite movies that I watched more than once was the movie Pollyanna. It's um, an amazing movie, and as a mom of two girls, it became part of our family library of classics. For those of you that have never seen the movie Pollyanna, it's about a little girl, 11 years old, Pollyanna Whittier, an orphan who goes to Beldingsville, Vermont to live with her wealthy but very stern Aunt Polly. Pollyanna, during her time there, she changes an entire town because she brings sunshine into everybody's lives that she touches. So I thought it would be great for us to look at a short clip this morning from Pollyanna. I think it's a great springboard for our time together. Let's watch. Would you like someone to practice your sermon on? No, no thank you, child. Uh, Mother and I used to be an audience to my father when he was practicing his sermons. He, he was a minister too, you know. Oh, yes, yes, so he was. Uh, do you like being a minister? Do I like being a... Now, why would you ask a thing like that? <laughs> oh, the way you looked just then reminded me of my father. Once I saw him sort of sad like that, and I asked him. And what did he say? Hmm. Said he was glad he was. But it made him sad sometimes when he just couldn't seem to get through to his congregation. Sounds familiar. I suppose every minister of God faces the same problem. Hmm, I suppose. Tell me. Did your father ever solve the problem? Well, he read something one day that said helped him. In the Bible? No, just something he read someplace. He had it put on this chain. He wore it always. It's all I have of his. When you look for the bad... Ugh, it always makes me cross-eyed. May I? Mm. When you look for the bad in mankind, expecting to find it, you surely will. Abraham Lincoln. He was the president. Yes, yes, I know. But I never heard that before. Neither of my father. Anyway, he said it started him thinking. And from then on, he was going to look for the good in people. 
That's when we both started searching for the Bible for the texts. The texts? Yes. You know. My father called them the glad passages. You know. The happy ones, like, um, uh, shout for joy, or be glad in the Lord. You know, like that. There are 800 happy texts. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yes, well, there are. And you know, my father said, if God took the trouble to tell us 800 times to be glad and rejoice, he must have wanted us to do it. Oh, I better be going now. I'm sorry I disturbed your practicing. I'll see you later. Uh, goodbye. Eight hundred happy passages in Scripture. Yep, I bet God does desire us for to be glad, but maybe a better word is grateful. This number's actually been challenged by the verse counters. Imagine that. They say there's probably 826. It doesn't make that much difference what the number is. It's the heart of the matter. It's our learning curve. Counting. All over the world is the same. We learn to count. It's basic. It's core. It's essential for kids. It's essential for adults. Numbers are a part of our everyday life in every aspect of everything we do. When a child's born, one of the first things we do is count those fingers and toes. We count everything. Money, calories, steps, heartaches, number of school days, mileage, vacation days, birthdays, days till retirement, Number of Facebook friends, likes, number of followers, shares, and the list goes on and on. We count and we count and we count. An author by the name of Anne Voskamp wrote the book, 1,000 Gifts. It's a great book if you've never read it. And she tells a story about her daughter, Hope, as she was learning to play the piano. The teacher kept emphasizing counting to keep the right beat in the song. She told her students, when you're a musician and you stop counting, it's like running around in the forest in the dark without a flashlight. Without counting, the song loses harmony. When we're a follower of Jesus and we stop counting our blessings, it's like running around in the forest on a cliff in the dark without a flashlight. Without counting our blessings, without a heart of gratitude, our, so our lives lose the song and the light, the very beat of God's heart. Today we sang, Count Your Many Blessings. That song was written in 1897 by Johnson Oatman, Jr. It was at the age of 36 that he discovered a gift that he had for writing hymns. He spent his life writing hymns. Actually, he wrote over 5,000 hymns. The greatest problem he had is when they wanted him to put a price tag on his hymns, and he refused to charge more than a dollar per hymn. He said he wanted to use his gift that God had given him for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we sing that hymn, many times we think about a friend or somebody that's been struggling, but that's not what his intention was. The hymn was a reminder for us to take our problems and our concerns to God in prayer. Well, you know 
as well as I do, that throughout Scripture, there are many, many individuals that counted, expressed their great gratitude to the Lord. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she had the weight of being a pregnant virgin, yet she realized she was pregnant with God's Son, and she rejoiced in that blessing because she was his vessel. She chose to view her circumstances as a blessing, even though the world was telling her otherwise. Sometimes blessings come to our lives and they're not easy for us to handle. But we should be thankful nonetheless. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of this humble servant. Hannah gave thanks when she had Samuel. When we wait for a long time for a blessing and God answers it, there is a tendency within us to grab it and hold it close because we don't want it to go away. However, Hannah, she showed us deep gratitude because she dedicated the whole thing to God. When her prayers for a child were finally answered, she was faithful in dedicating Samuel to the Lord. The Lord has filled my heart with joy. I feel strong in the Lord. I can laugh at my enemies. I'm glad because you've helped me. There's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one, no God but you. There is no rock like our God. And then, of course, David. He lived a life of praise. He danced before the Lord in the streets as a response to a holy God. He worshiped after the death of his son. He was known for praise. No matter what season of life David found himself in, he always had a perspective of praise. He said, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Mary, Hannah, David, what about us? What about you? What about me? Are our lives characterized by gratitude with our heart and our voice? Do others know us from our praise, adoration, gratitude before the Lord, no matter what? Gratitude is a declaration that God is good no matter what. Today I'd like to take a few moments for us to talk about three areas. Growing in gratitude in your past, growing in gratitude in the present, and growing in gratitude in the future. When we talk about growing in gratitude in the past, I think there's two areas that we really need to think about. One is God's provision. I bet if you look at your past like me, you can see the hand of God, even if those moments you couldn't see it. But you can look back and you can say, look, look at the hand of God. It was there. And the second part is painful experiences. We've all had them. Pain is part of the growth that God wants to do in our lives so we can become more like him. I wanted to share with you a long, hard season in my life that lasted for 20 months. Over a 20-month period of time, I experienced divorce by abandonment. 
after a 23-year marriage. Because of the divorce, I lost my employment, a ministry position at a church, because they didn't want a divorced minister. At that point, I lost my church, and I lost my community. Because I didn't have income, I lost my house. And my family unit went from four to one immediately. Meg, my daughters, Meg and Paige, Meg was the oldest. She left and went to college like she should have and went to Mizzou. Paige, the younger daughter, she was so angry and so brokenhearted about all that had taken place that she moved in with another family. If that wasn't hard enough, it wasn't but months, and my mom died. A precious lady that was my friend and my mom. And just following after that, our family dog of 14 years, Cinnamon, died. Even when I talk about this to you, it takes my breath away. Just reading it is hard. It was a tough, gut-wrenching season in my life. I lost everything, or I thought I did. But I do know, I never forgot that God was in my midst. Day after day, I got up, trying to put one foot in front of the other and just to breathe, lifting up my voice, my cries, my pain, my prayer, everything to the Lord. I read his word, and I soaked in any sense of peace or normalcy that I could possibly find. My therapy was mowing the lawn. I bought a small house in North Richland Hills, Texas, and I bought a lawn mower and an edger. I knew nothing about that, because when I was a little girl, there was a push mower, right? Well, that wasn't this, and I didn't know. There was a guy across the street that helped me, showed me how to use it, and then whenever I had issues, he'd come help me. But two mornings a week, as the sun rose, and before it got too hot in Texas, I would mow my yard. First day, I would mow and edge the front yard. I had a corner lot. Second day, I would mow the side and the backyard and edge it. Up and down, up and down, up and down, I'd mow. One day after mowing the yard, I stood back and looked at the lawn. And I thought to myself, and I may even have verbalized it, I don't know. My life is such a mess, but my lawn sure looks good. <laughs> the lawn provided instant gratification. You know what I mean. It was that day that my perspective and my heart began to change a bit. So each week as I mowed the yard up and down, up and down, I began talking to the Lord. Mowing became a spiritual exercise for me. As I mowed up and down, I challenged myself. I started counting expressing something I was grateful for on every row. Sometimes it was really hard. It might have been the smell of the fresh grass or the ability to make my house payment or a possible interview opportunity or even a short conversation with Paige, who was struggling so deeply. I was counting my blessings. This process helped me to refocus. I felt like some order was kind of coming back to my life. 
Yes, my life was unraveled and certainly messy, but boy, the lawn looked good. My lawn mowing process of up and down, up and down, counting my blessings and building my gratitude vocabulary helped me to begin again to take baby steps and to make some progress and see some answered prayers. Day by day, I watched the Lord begin to rebuild my life, not the life that I had known, but something different. A different house, small but cozy, a job with a nonprofit agency, a good counselor, baby steps with my girls, and lots of processing my pain and loss. He's still working in my life in that process, even though it's been 11 years, I'm still in process. There was a letter from a friend that I wanted to read to you that was so powerful in my life. Oh, my friend, I wanted to pull you out. I want to change your path. I want to stop your pain. But right now, I know I would be wrong. I would be out of line. I'd be cheating you and cheating the world out of so much good because God knows he knows the good this pain will produce. He knows the beauty this heart hard will grow. He's watching over you and keeping you in the midst of this, and he's promising you that you can trust him. And even when it all feels like you can't bear it, he's there. So instead of trying to pull you out, I'm lifting you up. I'm kneeling before the Father and asking him to give you strength, to give you hope, I'm asking him to protect you and move you when the time is right. I'm asking him to help you stay prayerful and discerning. I'm asking him how I can best love you and be a help to you. And I'm believing he's going to use your life in a powerful and beautiful way. Ways that will leave your heart grateful and humbly thankful for the road that you've been on. In my past and in yours, recognizing God's provision. He's always been there, and he always will, and that pain produces growth. What about the present? I expressed to you some of mine in the past. I think there are two things in the present. One is positioning. What do I mean by that? I mean our focus. What are we looking at? If we're always looking down here, and we forget to raise our head and look out and put our eyes on Jesus, we're going to miss a lot of stuff. When I work with kids, a lot of times I'll say, chin up, look up, look up, look up. It's a practice. And we need to practice prayer and praise. There's power, so much power in both. When we look around today in this place, whether somebody's online, they're in the grocery store, someone's to your left, the person to your right, the person before you and behind you. They have a story. Each person has a different story, and they're living it out before the world and before the Lord. Even if they don't know him, they're living it out before the Lord. When you see people, do you pray for them? Everyone's carrying a load that you don't know about. They may smile at you, but underneath the smile is their story. 
We're so quick to evaluate each other, but God's heart is for us to fix our focus or adjust our positioning. Scripture, Hebrews 12, 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Proverbs 4.25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. James 5.13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Addison and Emerson are going to come up right now and share an important passage of scripture with you that I think will help us further focus. Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten men cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Thanks, girls. Yes, all ten received the gift of healing, but only one had a heart change. Why? His faith had made him well. All ten received a gift, but the one that came back and praised the Lord got a double dose. He received a healing, but he had a heart change. The same question could be asked of us today. Where are the others? Why aren't these people giving me thanks? Jesus has given us an unbelievable free gift of forgiveness. We didn't have to do a thing for it. Though our sins cause us to deserve punishment, he took our punishment for us when he died on the cross. What, we're all, what is our response to him? Psalm 107, 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His faithful love continues forever. That's what those who have been set free by the Lord should say. There's a story, a brief story, about a medical missionary in India. This missionary went to a particular region because people were being afflicted with progressive blindness. The people were born with healthy vision, but for something in the area was causing them to lose their vision. And so this missionary developed a procedure that would arrest their blindness. People would come to him and spend their days blind, but then they would leave with full vision. He said not one of them had ever said thank you to him. Why? It wasn't that they weren't grateful. There was just not a word for that in their dialect. Instead, the word that they spoke meant, I will tell your name. And so throughout 
the region as they left with their healed sight. They would tell the name of this missionary. His name was proclaimed and proclaimed and proclaimed. Isn't that the same with us, with God? The psalmist says, Every day I will praise you and glorify your name forever. For what you've done, I will always praise you in the presence of the faithful people. And I will hope in your name, and for your name is good. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Are we the ones that will say, I will tell your name? From the depths of our souls with gratitude, may we tell his name, the name of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, Let your thoughts be psalms, let your prayers be incense, and your breath praise. Finding gratitude in the future. Everyone sitting here, we have no idea as we walk from this place what that will look like. Yet, we know that God is in our midst. How can we deal with finding gratitude in something that we haven't seen? I believe it's in knowing the personality or character of God. Omnipotent, all-powerful. There's nothing that trips up God. He's powerful, and he is in control. Omniscient. It means that he's all-knowing. He knows everything. Past, present, future. Omnipresent. He's always present, everywhere, all the time. That is so hard for us to wrap our head around. But when we know the Lord and we know his personality, his character, we can walk confidently through life into the future, knowing that he holds us and that our life is in the palm of his hand. When we know Jesus personally, we can lift our head, our heart, our voice in praise to the one that knows us, loves us, forgives us, and has a plan for our lives. I want to share this last story with you. It's probably a story that I've had for a long time that has really been meaningful to me. It's about a young man that was interviewing for an important position with a large printing company. He passed the initial interview, and he was going to meet the director for the final interview. The director saw his resume and said, oh, your resume's excellent. He asked him, young man, have you received a scholarship for school? The guy said, no. It was your father who paid for your studies? He said, yes. Where's your dad work? He said, my father's a blacksmith. The director asked the young man to show him his hands. They were smooth and soft and hadn't had a lot of wear and tear, you could tell. Have you ever helped your parents at their job? Never. My parents always wanted me to study and read books. Besides, I can't do my job, dad's job. He's amazing at it. The director said, I've got a request for you. When you go home today, 
go and wash the hands of your father, and then come see me tomorrow morning. So the young man went to his house, and he asked his father if he could allow him to wash his hands. His father felt strange, but kind of happy, with mixed feelings, but he showed his hands to his son. The young man washed his hands little by little, but it was the first time that he really noticed how wrinkled and how scarred they were and how beat up and bruised they were. And as he washed his dad's hands, his dad kind of winced because even touching them was somewhat painful. It was the first time that the young man recognized what it meant for this pair of hands to work hard every day to be able to pay for his studies. The bruises on his hands were the price the father paid for his education, his school activities, and even his future. After cleaning the father's hands, the young man stood in silence and began to kind of tidy up the workshop. That night, the father and son had a conversation. The next morning, the young man went back to the office of the director. The director noticed a softer side, a demeanor to this young man, even in his eyes. Can you tell me what happened when you learned what you learned yesterday at your house? The boy replied, I washed my dad's hands, and when I finished, I stayed and I cleaned up his workshop a bit. Now I know what it is to appreciate and recognize that without my parents, I would not be who I am today. By helping my father, I now realize how difficult and hard it was to do something on my own. I've come, become more grateful for my family. It's important to value and love and help them. The director said, this is what I look for in people. I want to hire someone who can appreciate the help of others, a person who knows the hardship others go through to accomplish things, and a person who realizes that money is not the only goal in life. I'm looking for a grateful heart. You are hired. When I thought about all of this today, finding gratitude in the past and in the present and in the future, my heart was drawn to one scripture verse that is a favorite in my life, but I thought, this is a verse that so covers all of this. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious for anything. Stop worrying, but in everything. With prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. With thanksgiving, gratitude, bring it all to God. And the peace, his peace, that passes all understanding will guard your heart and life and mind in Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray. Bring your petitions to God with thanksgiving, gratitude, and the peace, his peace, that passes all understanding bigger than we could imagine, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to have some more music. You see pumpkins up here. I guess you haven't missed them. I wanted to tell you about them. This uh, morning when the last song, The Blessing, is sung over you, I want you to come get a pumpkin. See the one up there? I want 
to invite you to start a new tradition at your home. Each pumpkin has a Sharpie, and I would like to ask you to put it in the center of your table. And as you share a meal between yourself, two people, three people, eight people, ask everybody to write on the pumpkin what they're grateful for. Then go around and let each other talk about it. If you're by yourself, like I was, mine is full up here. I took the big one. I could have filled it up multitudes of times. And when you do that, that you might not only hear others' hearts and their gratitude, but then you might praise the Lord and praise Him for all He's done. So when it comes to the time of the blessing, I don't care if you're a family of one, a family of eight. We have a lot of pumpkins up here. Do you know a neighbor that needs a pumpkin? Do you know somebody that's watching online? I talked about pumpkins. Do you need to take one to them? Who needs a pumpkin? Who needs to grow in their gratitude? And so I invite you to say today at the end, as they sing the blessing, that you might come and get a pumpkin to stretch your gratitude vocabulary and mine and the people around you. Let's pray. God, how grateful we are. That seems like such a small word. You, Lord, hold our lives. You go before us, behind us, and on either side of us. We have such a small comprehension of that. I pray as we leave this place today that you would stretch our gratitude vocabulary and that through everything we might lift up your name. Let's tell your name, God, in every corner of our lives. May we be the people that tell your name. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Help us to grow in our gratitude. May we be a grateful people. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.